Good day, church. Let me wish you a very happy Easter. What a joy it is to gather together on this Easter Resurrection Sunday to celebrate that the tomb was indeed empty. Our verse for today is John chapter 20, verse 29. It says these words, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. There are two words today, believing and blessing. The blessing of believing. I love the story of the lady who goes into a jeweler's shop. Uh, she goes, I'd like to buy a, a cross and a chain, but I want the cross with a little man on it. And the jeweler, who is a Christian, who believes in the resurrection of Jesus, says, Madam, I'm so sorry we don't sell those crosses in our shop. We only sell the plain crosses. Because the little man has a name, his name is Jesus. And that little man, Jesus, was dead. He was crucified, but he's not on the cross anymore. He is risen. He's alive. Do you believe that? And that's the question that Jesus asks of each one of us. Do you believe that? At every funeral I do, I read a verse from Scripture, John 11, where Jesus says these words, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me will live, even though they die. Do you believe that, says Jesus? So let me ask you, do you believe that? Do you believe in the resurrection? Do you believe the tomb was empty? Do you believe that Jesus is alive? Now, I know that none of us saw the empty tomb. We didn't see his nail marks. We haven't seen the, the physical resurrected body of Jesus and yet we believe. Millions, no billions of people around the world today believe in the resurrected Jesus Christ. Uh, Michael was a man who believed. Uh, Michael lost his son, tragically, in a road accident. And the memorial service was held on Easter Sunday. The church was packed, it was, the grief was palpable, and Michael stood up to speak, and he began with these words. Easter has taken on a new importance to me this year. Until you stare death eye to eye, Easter is just a word. It's a nice day with rabbits and eggs and family. But when someone so precious to you dies, Easter becomes everything to you. It's an anchor in a fierce storm. It's a rock on which to stand. It's a hope that raises you above despair and keeps you going. Jesus defeated death. Jesus was raised from the dead, so my son will be raised. Jesus lived, so my son will live. And that means everything to me right now. See, when you stare death in the face like that, when you come face to face with the death of a loved one, the resurrection means everything to you. And friends, we are being confronted with death right now. All around the world, millions of people are living in fear of death from this coronavirus. And the images being streamed into our homes of, of people dying in New York and London and Spain and Italy, it is terrifying, it's horrifying. And yet, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it changes our attitude towards death. Now, this is Easter in a nutshell. Uh, the death of one perfect man, Jesus Christ, on Good Friday, offers life to all who believe. 
But the resurrection of that same man, Jesus Christ, on Easter Sunday means no death, but eternal life to all who put their trust in him. So do you believe? Here's our verse again. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Let's think about that word believe. Uh, John chapter 20 is a wonderful chapter of the evidence for the resurrection. All these people, these different people who saw and believed. It's it's Easter morning, that first Easter Sunday. Uh, The disciples are all downcast because the man they follow for three years, Jesus, he's dead. Not just died, but a horrific death, a crucified death. They're in despair. But when the sun rose that Easter morning... Their despair turned to delight, and the darkness turned to light, and they believed. Uh, John believed. Uh, John was the man who wrote this gospel. He's the one who's described as the the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved. And, And John 20 tells us that on that first Easter morning, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. And when you hear the word tomb, please don't think a hole in the ground. I think a massive cave uh, with ledges for the body and a huge stone rolled in front to keep the animals out and the body in. And Mary comes and says, they've taken my Lord away. And Peter and John, they run to the tomb. Uh, John does not go in, but Peter goes in. And we're told in verse 6 that he saw the, the linen cloths lying there. I love that detail because... If robbers had stolen the body, they would not have left the linen cloths because they were the most expensive items. But verse 8 is the key. John saw and he believed. His eyes were opened and he, he trusted that Jesus was alive. And did you notice how he believed because of what he didn't see? He didn't see the risen body. He saw an empty tomb. But that was enough to convince him that the man he'd seen died and beaten and blooded on Friday, that same man had risen. He believed. So John believed, Mary believed, Mary Magdalene, she is one of what I call the Spice Girls who went to that tomb that Easter Sunday to embalm the body. And we're told in verse 1, it is darkness. It was still dark, and yes, it was physically dark, but I think more than that, Mary Magdalene was still in spiritual darkness. Her eyes had not yet been opened. And she goes and she sees the stone has been removed. It would take three men to remove that stone. So something is wrong. I wonder what she's thinking. Perhaps the Jewish authorities stole the body, but but why would they? They wanted him dead, or maybe the disciples stole the body, but why would they? And would they die for a lie? And we're told that in verse 11, she stands outside the tomb and she is crying. Of course she's crying. She is weeping. The tears are rolling down her cheek because she is sad and she is grieving. And she sees two angels One is his head and one is his foot. And they ask what seems to be a a stupid question. Woman, why are you crying? She is crying because her Lord, her loved one, is dead. You know, I had that feeling when you sense somebody is behind you. That's how how Mary feels. And she turns around and she she sees the man, but she doesn't recognise him as Jesus. Maybe it's because of the tears, or more likely because she's still in spiritual darkness. 
And he asked the same question, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? And again, they're not stupid questions. They're actually profound questions because why is she crying? If she believed in the resurrection, she would not be crying. She'd be rejoicing. Who is she looking for? She's looking for a dead man, but she should be looking for a living, resurrected man. And then Jesus speaks. Just one word. He calls her by name. The good shepherd calls her by name and says, Mary. And at that moment, her eyes are open and she believes. She says, I've seen the Lord. So John believed and Mary believed and the ten disciples believed. We're told that on the first evening, so it's a Sunday night and the, the ten disciples. So Judas is not there and Thomas is not there for some reason. But they're in this room, this locked room for fear of the Jews. And then we're told that Jesus appears. Uh, don't be shocked by that. The, the body that can pass through grave clothes can pass through a locked door. Uh, he's not a ghost. He ate, he drank, he talked. They touched him. And he says, peace be with you. And then he shows them his hands and his side down in verse 20. I, I would have loved to have been there. You know, the, the body that was battered and beaten and blooded and bruised, the back that was lacerated, the, the crown of thorns on his head. But in three days, his body is completely healed, except for the nail marks on his hands and the spear mark on his side. And as they see those things, the nail marks and his spears, their eyes are open and we're told that they see the Lord, they believe. So, so John believed and Mary believed and the disciples believed and Thomas finally believed. I, I do feel sorry for Thomas. He kind of gets a bad rap. He's called Doubting Thomas for the rest of history, but actually I think he's just realistic. He's just a bit sceptical. He wants the evidence. He wants the proof. So when the disciples come and say, we've seen the Lord, he's saying, I will not believe that until I see with my own eyes. He says, unless I see the, the nail marks in his hands and, and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. He just wants proof. He's saying, show me. And Jesus makes him wait a whole week. And a week later, he appears again. And it's almost like Jesus heard exactly what Thomas said the previous week. Funny that. And Jesus says to Thomas, come on, Thomas. Put your fingers here. Stop doubting. Stop doubting and believe. Stop being an unbeliever and become a believer. Stop being sceptical and start to see. And when we told this amazing verse, Thomas declared, my Lord and my God. He believed. So all these people saw and believed. I could go on. I could talk about the 500 people who witnessed the risen Lord Jesus. I could talk about the Apostle Paul seeing the risen Lord Jesus on the Damascus Road. I could talk about a man called Frank Morrison, who was a rational lawyer who set out to disprove the resurrection. But the more he studied it, the more he was convinced it was true. And so he wrote a book, and he called the book, uh, Who Moved the Stone?, and the first chapter was entitled, The Book That Refused to Be Written. I could talk about myself. Uh, I was a sceptic. Uh, I'm a mathematician by trade. I got a PhD in maths from Oxford University. And I like evidence. I like proof. And for two long years, I studied all world religions. And I'd read the Bible. I'd heard the stories of Jesus. But was it true? Did the evidence back, back up? 
Uh, one night, my eyes were opened, the lights went on, and I thought, yes, all the evidence for the resurrection far, 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 far outweighed any evidence against it. And so I believed. I put my trust in the risen, resurrected, living Lord Jesus. In my 20 years as a pastor, I think there are, there's really one reason why people don't believe. And that, that, that reason is the word pride. We have this intellectual pride because so-called scientists tell us that dead people don't rise. And intellectually, we find that hard to really grapple with. But if God can create a universe from nothing, then surely he can cause a dead person to rise again. There's intellectual pride, but there's spiritual pride, because if Jesus really did rise from the dead, it means that he is God. And if he's God, then he has some claim over our lives, and most people don't like that. Friends, if you're here today, listening in, and you've got questions about the resurrection, can I urge and encourage you to check out the evidence? Uh, Come along to our Alpha course It starts on Tuesday, the 21st of April. We'd love to see you online for that course. Zoom in, listen in, ask your questions, look at the evidence. And my prayer is that you might believe, that you might believe. That's our first word, believe. But the second word is the word blessing. Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. There is great blessing in believing. If we believe in the resurrection, we're not to be pitied. We're not to be mocked. We're not naive. We are blessed. And I want to give you four great blessings that flow from the resurrection. I mean, you need to hear this today in this season of uncertainty and doubt and we're scared and we are fearful. Here are the four blessings. Number one, a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. A personal relationship with the living Jesus Christ, who is not dead but alive, You can have a deep, intimate, experiential relationship with the living God. When Barack Obama was president, a young girl got quite close to the Oval Office. And she was stopped by a staff member and she said, I'd like to make an appointment to meet with the president. And the staff member says, oh, it doesn't work like that. He has to invite you. And she said, but he doesn't know me. And so the staff members say, well, he won't invite you then. And Easter Sunday says that Jesus knows you and invites you and calls you by name to have a real, intimate, personal relationship with him. Did you spot the relational language of verse 17? It's quite extraordinary. Jesus said to Mary Magdalene, says, I'm ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. See that personal language, my Father and to your Father. That is extraordinary. That the relationship that Jesus Christ had with his heavenly Father is what God is offering you. You can have that same relationship with God as a heavenly Father. God knows you. God cares for you. God carries you. God feeds you. God calms your lurking fears. You can have that real relationship. I love the story of the the Muslim who is dialoguing with the Christian and says this, uh, We Muslims have one thing that you Christians don't have. 
When we go to Medina, we find a coffin and know that Muhammad lived because we have his body in that coffin. But when you go to Jerusalem, you find nothing but an empty tomb. And the Christian replied, thank you so much. What you say is so true. But the reason we find an empty tomb is that we don't serve a dead man, but a risen, living, reigning Lord Jesus. He's alive. And you may not see him, but you can talk to him. I think prayer is one of the the, the greatest gift of the resurrection. You can talk to your living Lord Jesus. He hears, he listens, he doesn't socially distance from you. He's always there, he's always close, ready to hear you. And this relationship with Jesus, it should define you. Who are you? Let me say you are not defined by your job. And you are not defined by the property postcode. And you are not defined by your holidays or your happiness. You're not defined by your financial security. You are defined by your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You are a child of God, loved and precious to him. So you have a personal relationship. What a blessing that is. The second blessing is the word peace. See, that word is used three times. Jesus says three times in verse 19, peace be with you. Verse 21, peace be with you. Verse 26, peace be with you. That's the gift of Jesus. He offers you peace. Peace with God and the peace of God. Peace with him and peace within. Now, the peace with God that we, we sing about at Christmas time, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled, that was fulfilled at Easter Sunday. Now, because the tomb was empty, you know that you are fully forgiven. And because the tomb was empty, you know there's nothing you can do to make God love you more or make him love you less. And because the tomb was empty, you know that you don't carry the guilt of your sin anymore. You are fully forgiven and fully accepted. You have full peace with your heavenly Father. It's like the resurrection is a rubber stamp to say the cross really worked. It's like the line from the hymn in Christ alone. No guilt in life and no fear in death. That is the power of Christ in me. That's the peace we have with God. No guilt in life. We, we don't wander around carrying the burdens for our sins or being weighed down by guilt or feeling a failure. We've left all that at Calvary. You just know that you are loved and forgiven and cherished by God. That's the peace you have. But then that peace within, that peace of God that passes all understanding, it's real, you know. Yes, you're still in pain, but you have peace in your pain. And yes, we still grieve, but there's peace in our grief. Now, many people around the world are grieving today for a loss of a loved one. But when you believe in the resurrection, there is peace in your grief. Because death is not the end for believers. It is just the beginning. When my good friend Chris died almost 20 years ago now in a car crash, gosh, the grief was real. But there was peace in my grief. And my friend Simon was, was murdered over 15 years ago. There was real grief, deep grief, but, but great peace in my grief. And the funerals I've done in the last couple of years, I, I think of, of Sam and of Sean and of Sarah, of, of Andalay, of Angela, I think of Mark, I think of Marcus, I think of Graham, I think of Georgie. All these people who have died as believers in Christ, the grief is real because we miss them and we love them and we long to see them. But you know what? They're not just believing in Jesus, they're seeing Jesus face to face. They're not just believing in a resurrection, they're experiencing the resurrection and that brings us peace. Peace in our grief. That's the second blessing. The third blessing is this. 
power. Now we sing about it, the, the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. If Jesus was still dead, that is the end. But because he is risen and because he ascended, the Holy Spirit has come. The same power, the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. See what Jesus did? He breathed on his disciple. And what does he say? He says, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit, the all-powerful the all-comforting, the incredible Holy Spirit takes up residence in you and empowers you and equips you to deal with whatever life throws at you. I just wonder whether, for many of us on Resurrection Sunday, we have, we have too small a view of what God can and will do. Maybe that's the moment we're in right now with COVID-19. Maybe God is stripping away our plans and our power, our strategies and our strengths. And he's saying, watch me. Watch my Holy Spirit do his work. See the people I will win for Christ. See the lost souls I will save. I will grow my church. I will not be overcome by coronavirus. Trust me. And when you've got the Holy Spirit living in you by the power of the resurrection, you can do immeasurably more than you ask or imagine. Do you believe that? The Holy Spirit, the powerful Holy Spirit, is in you because of the resurrection. And here's the last one. A perspective, a new perspective. C.S. Lewis says this. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything. And that's what the resurrection does. It gives you a new set of eyes just to see life differently and death differently. To see your trials and your troubles differently. To see your triumphs differently. You have a different perspective on life. Now, many of us at the moment are, are a bit concerned or scared for our health. Can I just gently and humbly remind you that these bodies of ours, they're not our permanent bodies. They're just temporary and as we age, they do decay and they do sag. But we've got new bodies waiting for us. Praise God for that. And what do you value in life? What's important in life? It was C.T. Studd who said, only one life, twill soon pass. And only what's done for Christ will last. That perspective on, I'm here to serve my risen saviour. You know, people are what matter. People matter. And what people need most at this moment is not just social distancing. They need a saviour. And what people need most right now is not just a vaccine for this virus. They need that very personal relationship with the living Lord Jesus Christ who gives them peace and power and a perspective. And friends, on this Resurrection Sunday, I want to encourage and urge you to find your peace and your power and your perspective in that personal relationship with the living Lord Jesus Christ. So again, let me ask you, do you believe? Do you believe the tomb is empty? Do you believe that Christ is risen? And if it is, we say, Alleluia. Alleluia. If you're a believer here, I want to invite you in this moment to celebrate the resurrection. We're going to do that by just taking some bread and some wine together. 
Uh, the bread is a symbol of his body that was broken. The, the juice or the wine is a symbol of his blood that was shed. Uh, Jesus, on the night that he, he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he gave thanks and he broke it and said, Take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup. And again, giving thanks. He gave it and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood shed for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. So I want to invite you in your homes right now to take some bread, to eat this with a grateful heart that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. And drink this, remember that Christ's blood was shed for you to give you peace, a purpose, a power, and a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. Please drink this and be thankful. Let me pray. Living Lord Jesus, we want to kneel at your feet right now and praise and adore you because you are alive. Thank you, Lord, for that glorious, mighty resurrection. Thank you, Lord, that we have no guilt in life and no fear in death. Thank you, Lord, for the power of your Holy Spirit who lives in us. And we ask that he would do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. And Father, please help us to believe. Lord, please help each one of us to have our trust and our security firmly rooted in that evidence for that resurrection. Lord, we love you and we're so thankful for you. Help us today and every day to keep following and praising our risen Lord Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen.